We're in 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. We uh, kicked off 2 Peter last week. This morning, we're continuing this walk through 2 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to be in verse 5 through 11 this morning and talking about blessed assurance, blessed assurance. Uh, a couple of years ago, I'm not a, I'm not a frequent flyer, and uh, I, in fact, I don't fly, it's, it's last resort, it's just not my favorite thing to do, and uh, several years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Brazil, and I flew uh, from here to Miami, when I landed in Miami, there was actually a hurricane coming in uh, off the Atlantic Ocean, and uh, when we landed, uh, it felt like a knuckleball coming in uh, for the landing, and, uh, and I thought, well, I'm going to be stuck here in Miami because we're not going to take off uh, until this storm comes and passes, and a couple hours went by, and sure enough, man, they called our plane and said, it's time to board the airplane, and I was nervous, and, and I got on that airplane, and we took off <clears throat> into uh, the outskirts of a storm that was coming in, and uh, uh, and I'm telling you, man, that airplane was ditching and dodging. And, uh, you know, it's interesting when you fly on an airplane like that because uh, everybody gets religious at that moment. You know, I mean, everybody's like, dear Jesus, what's going to happen? And, uh, and everybody's getting really, and, I, and in fact, I had, a, I, for a moment, I thought, man, I, this would be a great time to take up a collection right now. <laughs> take up an offering. Everybody's getting right with Jesus. And, uh, and, and, and we ended up flying. We, we, we made it there, obviously. And uh, final destination came landing. And, uh, and it took me a moment. It took me a moment to get off the airplane because I was locked up. I mean, you know, my knees were locked up and, and my stomach was still up in my throat and, uh, and, and my, my fingers were holding on to that, uh, that little flip thing they put in front of you. And there was a reason I do that. I, I don't hold on to the armrest. I hold on to the flip thing in front of me because I try to trick my mind that I'm helping the pilot fly this sucker. And, uh, and so I'm hanging on. And, uh, and, so, and so the stewardess came by and helped pry my fingers loose and I got off the airplane. And, uh, and I'm walking down that plank, and, and by the time I got off, <clears throat> you know, uh, the pilot is getting off. And I'm walking down that plank, and I'm just like stiff as a board and white, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and that pilot has his little satchel, <whistles> and, uh, and he's walking down there. And, and you know what was interesting? I, my, the thought that I had in my mind was this. <clears throat> What's the difference? We both took the same exact airplane. Through the same storms, we came to the final destinations, but his and my journeys were totally different. And I believe the reason why there was a difference in our journey was because he had assurance that I didn't have. And this morning, we're talking about the assurance of our faith in Jesus Christ. And so many times, if my assurance is lacking, if I'm not sure of my salvation, if I'm not sure of the one who saved me, then my life is gonna be a greater struggle than the one that has assurance. Peter's writing <clears throat> just about assurance and talking uh, about the subject, I believe, of blessed assurance. And when you're talking about the assurance of our salvation, you know, understanding this, and Ephesians chapter two, and in verse number eight and nine, before we move forward this morning, Ephesians two, verses eight and nine, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not about anything that you did. It's not about your works. Uh, there's nothing that you can do to attain your salvation. The work has been completed by Jesus Christ. Uh, and, so, and so when you're talking about these subjects this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about some works along the way. We're not in any way talking about working for our salvation, but rather working from our salvation. And so, and so make sure we get that abundantly clear this morning. There's nothing I can do, there's nothing I can do 
to obtain my salvation on my own strength. God did the work for me. Jesus Christ paid it all. It is finished, is what he said on the cross. And so we're saved, again, by grace through faith. Peter knew that the church would be under attack. And, uh, and so he writes these two letters. First Peter, he writes, because of the onslaught on the outside, there's an assault on the church, there's persecution, so expect it along the way from the outside. He writes the first letter, dealing with that subject. Then he writes the second letter, Second Peter, uh, not dealing with the assaults from the outside, but the invasion from within. And so he begins this letter talking about the very basis of our faith, where it all begins. He talks about salvation. And so he writes the first four verses dealing with the subject of salvation. And when you're talking about salvation, there is the sovereignty of God in our salvation. And he talks about that really in, in the first four verses, but then the responsibility of man that follows <clears throat> with that. And so this morning, that's where we find ourselves is just talking about we're saved again by grace, the Bible says, through faith. Grace would be God's part. Faith would be our response to what God has done for us. And so when you're talking again about faith, so if faith is our part, uh, the Bible says in James chapter number two and in verse number 19, the Bible says this, that the de- even the demon, so you believe that God is one, that's wonderful. You believe, that's wonderful. But even the demons believe. And so, and so he's writing, James is writing in his letter, and you can read about it, uh, but James is writing in his letter and he makes this statement. He says, hey, faith without works is dead. Faith without works, faith that's inactive, faith that's inactive is dead. And so what does faith look like? What does saving faith look like? We know that we're saved by grace through faith, faith being man's response, again, to God's grace. And so a lot of times what we do is we struggle with the assurance of our salvation for a lot of different reasons. There's a lot of people that struggle with the assurance of their salvation for a lot of reasons. Sometimes it's because of a sinful lifestyle. Sometimes it's because I'm not living life as God wants me to live life, and I'm wondering, can I even possibly be saved with these struggles? in my life. And so sometimes it's because of sin in my life. Sometimes it's because of a theological issue in my life that I don't completely understand what salvation is all about. And so, and so it might be a theological issue. Sometimes we're, we're hey listen, sometimes we are basing our faith in an experience. Sometimes we're basing my salvation in an experience rather than biblical exposition. And you gotta be careful because if I elevate my personal experience above scripture, if I elevate, if I don't interpret my experience through scripture, then sometimes my experience could be misleading. It's called existentialism. When I elevate personal experience above scripture, what does that look like? Here's what it looks like. Somebody sharing personal testimony and they say, man, I, I went to a service and I, and I heard the word and I just started crying and I just cried. Made me emotional. And there was never life change. I mean, I mean, seriously, the same testimony could be said by millions of people who've been to a Justin Bieber concert. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you get emotional. It's more, in other words, there's more than emotion involved. I mean, I mean, it might include emotion when you got saved, your experience. It might have included emotion when you got saved. Mine did. But I'm simply saying this, that there are some that say, man, I had an experience. And if that's the basis of my salvation, then it's possible 
that I ought not to be sure. There's assurance. This morning we're talking about assurance of salvation, the assurance, blessed assurance. First Peter chapter, or second Peter chapter one, verse number five and following. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, or your, your Bible might say virtue, uh, uh, add to that knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For, it is, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you, to be assured, to rest. In other words, he's not saying there in verse number 10, he's not suggesting that, hey, make sure you convince God that he saved you. No, he's saying, hey, your own salvation. Be sure of your salvation. God never intended it to be a hope-so salvation, but rather a no-so. He wants you to be certain. And so he says, make sure, uh, therefore, brethren, all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. And just talking again about the blessed assurance. And he basically uh, gives us two points that I'm building off of this morning, and that would be uh, the pre prescription of our assurance and then also the prediction of our assurance. But talking about the prescription of our assurance, he says, hey, <clears throat> you have a job to do. You have a job to do. In verse number five, he begins, verse five through seven, talking about the prescription for our assurance. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith supply. And so that's a little statement, but he's simply saying, hey, you've got a job to do. You know, there's a lot of people that just say, man, it, it, my faith, it's all about just let go and let God. And, and that's wonderful bumper sticker theology that's sometimes true, but not always. It's not always true. What Peter's saying here in his passage of scripture is that, listen, there is a job to be done, applying all diligence. It's the how-to of our assurance. He says diligence. What is diligence? It's the zeal and the eagerness of faith. And so the question that we have to ask ask ourselves is simply this, do I want to live for Jesus Christ? Is there a want to in my life? Because what happens to us when we get saved, we have a new nature. In other words, man, the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and it dwells within our heart and it begins a work on the inside of us that works itself out. And so the question has to be asked of ourselves. Nobody can answer the question for anybody else. In fact, I can do things that I ought to be doing, but my heart not really want to do them. But the question has to be asked if I'm talking about the assurance of my salvation, is there evidence of the Holy Spirit of God within me? Is there a desire to want to, uh, uh, with all diligence, with all zeal, with all passion to serve him? In other words, the, the, the 
Apostle Peter wrote in the book of Philippians, in Philippians chapter number two, in verses 12 and 13, he says this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13, so then my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation, not work for your salvation, but rather work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will, in other words, the want to's. He gave me a want to when I got saved. To will and to work for his good pleasure. And so to work it out, we are in cooperation. When you're talking about spiritual growth as a believer, spiritual growth as a believer is not automatic. There's a job that we've got to do. It's a cooperation. We're working in cooperation with the application of, 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 of the word of God and, 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 and the enabling of the spirit of God. So we're talking about the scriptures and the spirit both at work with us to grow us into what God wants us to be. And it happens because he's desiring that we be like Jesus Christ, so there's growth. And so we have a job to do. In fact, it's interesting because he says supply in, in verse number five. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, which by the way, he says in your faith. In other words, when you got saved, you got everything necessary to be a successful saint. You got everything necessary to be who God wants you to be. You you received it. It's within you. In your faith, supply. The word for supply is an interesting word in verse number five. It's a word that, that, that where we derive a, a, a title a choir master. So what's he saying? He's saying you have an obligation and a job to do much like a choir master. A choir master would be one that has all the necessary tools to make beautiful music, right? He has the sopranos and he has the altos and he has the basses and he has the other peoples and, uh, and, and he's got all these different parts, right? He's got all these different musicians and they're all keyed up and queued up and ready to go. And and it's the choir master's job to say, hey, I need more sound from the tenors. I need a little bit less of the bass. I need some more of the soprano. You need to rest right here. You need to crescendo right here. I don't know what that word means, but it's a musical term. But but, but the choir master would be the one that says, hey, I'm working all these separate parts for the purpose of making beautiful music. And he says, hey, you have received everything you need for your life to make beautiful music. Make sure you're leading it. How do you do that? How do you do that? What do you do? What's necessary in this process? And so he says, he continues on. He's not just how to, that's how we're gonna do it. So what do we need to do to do that? And so he gives us this list of seven qualities. He says, here's, here's seven things, and it's not an exhaustive list. This is in no means an exhaustive list of all that we have to do as a follower of Jesus Christ, but he's simply saying this, hey, here's the starting block for you. Here's seven qualities that you ought to be working at along the way. You ought to be working at them along the way. There should be a growing faith. You know, when you're talking about a no-so faith, a no-so faith only happens if my faith be growing. He's talking again assurance. He's talking assurance. And so he says, here's seven things, seven qualities that you need to be working on. He says, moral excellence or virtue as a believer in Jesus Christ. Moral excellence or virtue as a believer in Jesus Christ. Committed to excellence. In other words, the Bible talks about our Christian life in a lot of different ways, but one way that he says it is this, hey, your life is like a race, 
uh, Wednesday night we were in college meeting and, 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 and they were mentioning from Hebrews chapter 12 and it's, and, and, and it's talking about the Christian life being a race. And so, and so if the Christian life be a race, run the race with excellence. There ought to be a striving for excellence as a believer in Jesus Christ and not just a settling on mediocrity. What's a settling on mediocrity? Well, settling on mediocrity is this. God has given me abilities that far, that far surpass my availability. I have great potential. I have great potential. But I'm nowhere near meeting up to the potential that God's given to me. And I'm okay with that. That's mediocrity. If I'm okay with that, I'm not striving for moral excellence. I'm not striving for virtue. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter number three, verses 13 and 14. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. In other words, he's simply saying, hey, I haven't arrived in my spiritual journey yet. Until I see Jesus face to face, I haven't arrived. And part of the problem that we have sometimes is some folks think they have arrived. I'm there. No, you're not. There's always room to grow. Every person in this building, there's room to grow. The Apostle Paul, for goodness sake, says, I I haven't attained it yet. I'm not there yet. But then he goes on, verse 13. But one thing I do, forget what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remembering, remembering the one who called me, and the reason for which I run the race. So he says, first of all, first quality being excellence or virtue. And then he says, add to that, in addition to that, he goes on and he says, knowledge, knowledge. In other words, man, we've got to, we've got to know what it is he's calling me to. Uh, In recent years, I say recent years, it's probably decades now, I don't know, time escapes me sometimes. But uh, uh, WWJD, remember the WWJD thing? And and that's a cool thing, you know, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, you know, the only way that you can really answer that intelligently if if you know God's word. I mean, it's, it's more than a feeling as a believer. Sometimes people say, man, I'm a believer, got the Holy Spirit of God, I just know. Apart from God's word, apart from knowledge, where do you get knowledge? Studying God's word. Studying God's word. And, and, and let's just, just a question. Are you a student of God's word? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not talking, I'm not talking now about coming and listening to somebody talk. I'm talking about opening God's word and eating and studying. How do you know? You know what Peter says? Peter says, and and, and can I say something? If there's a lack of desire, you have to ask yourself the question, is there life? Is there life? I mean, seriously, with babies, I'm, you know, Bonnie and I have a chance to get out of town this afternoon. We're gonna leave this afternoon and uh, we're gonna go see my grandbaby. And uh, hadn't talked about her in a little while, but I'm excited. But nobody has to tell her that she's hungry now. She's, she's alive. She knows. She knows. There's a hunger and a thirst. As a believer, 
As we're talking assurance. I know I'm saved. Is their heartbeat? He says, add, add, add knowledge. Well, the only way you can add knowledge is if you get into God's word and some are just not interested. And if there's a lack of interest and lack of desire, either A, there's no heartbeat, or B, you're terribly sick. Second Timothy chapter two and verse number 15 is uh, our Awana verse, 2 <clears throat> Timothy 2, and verse number 15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. I'm so grateful to God for our children's ministry, for our Awana ministry, and, uh, but get into God's word, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. He's going through this list, to knowledge, self-control. And what's he saying there? He's saying, hey, listen, <clears throat> Don't live life controlled by emotions. I mean, there's some people that are believers and you're enabled by the Holy Spirit of God and dwelling within your heart, and yet we still live life on the most basic level of existence, and that would be controlled by my emotions, just because I feel like it. I mean, there's some things I feel like. that aren't godly. Proverbs, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, Proverbs 25 and 28, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who, lack, who has no control over his spirit. He says, make sure you're living life supernaturally. In other words, there's no way to live, you can't, it's impossible. It's, it's some of the most frustrated people on the planet are religious people. They come to church, they hear lessons, here's how I ought to be living, this is what God's calling me to, and I'm gonna try to do it with everything within my power, and at the end of the day, I continue to fail, to fail, to fail, to fail, to fail, and the question would simply be, is the Holy Spirit of God present in your life? Because without him, it's an impossibility. It's no way I can do this. But with him, what, what God is saying is, hey, listen, you are my child. I am enabling you to do everything that I call you to do. Does it mean that it's simple? Absolutely not. It, it takes effort. It does take effort on the behalf of the believer to live the Christian life. He enables me, but we're co-laborers with the Holy Spirit of God within me. He doesn't just override me. He could if he wanted to. But he says, add self control. And, and, and as we work through this list, by the way, it's, it's a self-examination. It's not so that we can look at others and say, yeah, I don't see that in him. <laughs> it's not for him, it's for you. Perseverance. He says perseverance. <clears throat> in other words, patience. Too often uh, we give up on our Patience, to be patient. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about our spiritual journey and, and, and a believer, he likens it to a lot of different things, but one of the pictures that he gives us in scripture when Jesus talks about Christianity, talks about who you are as a, as a, as a child of his, he says, you know what your life is like? It's like a farmer. I mean, I don't know of a more patient, occupa an occupation where patience is required more than a farmer. <laughs> I mean, you, you plant a seed and you gotta wait. He says, that's, that's how it is in the spiritual journey. There's, there's patience, adding patience. It means continue to give, to continue to keep giving when you feel like stopping. Galatians 6, 9, in Galatians 6, 9, the Bible says, let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you should reap a harvest if you don't give up. 
And a lot of times what we do is we just give up. For example, in the Christian life, I know that I'm called to love and, 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 and I'm called to pray for those uh, who might be against me and uh, to love them and to pray for them. And, uh, and, and, and you know what we do? We, we love them and pray for them and then we say, we've done that, been there, done that, and uh, now it's time to move on without continuing, continuing. Be patient, persevere. Is there a desire in my heart to patiently persevere in the Christian journey? He's saying, hey, if you want to know, if you want to have a faith that knows so, it ought to be growing. Here's some areas it ought to be growing in. Examination. He says, add godliness, add godliness, which is a word that simply means true worship, true worship. And the question would be for all of us to ask ourselves this question is, is there a longing in my heart to be Christ-like in every situation in my life? Is there a longing in my heart to be Christ-like in every situation? I wanna be Jesus Christ with skin on in every situation that I encounter. Now sometimes, again, sometimes spiritual warfare, man, it's, it's all of a sudden, man, they, it jumps on you. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about? You're walking through the store and somebody cuts you off or out there on the, and, and it's, it's like guerrilla warfare. And uh, there, there's a lion that's seeking whom he may devour. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, is my heart's desire to be Christ-like. I want to be Jesus Christ. I want to encourage others to know him, to glorify him. It's, it's, it's a question of the heart. <clears throat> He's saying make sure godliness is there. First Timothy chapter four, first Timothy uh, chapter number four, <clears throat> back there, verses number seven and eight. First Timothy four, verse seven and eight. The Bible says it like this. <clears throat> but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Uh, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since uh, it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. You hear what he's saying? He's saying godliness, godliness isn't just automatic. It's, it, it takes discipline just as physical fitness takes discipline. It doesn't just happen. It, it, it takes discipline. Don't you wish it just happened? I mean, really? <laughs> So godliness. And then he says brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness. Romans 12, over in Romans chapter number 12, verses 10 and following. Romans 12, verses 10 and following, talking about brotherly kindness. The Bible says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, as a believer in God, exhibit brotherly kindness. And can I tell you, if there's one that's indifferent towards the family of God, if there's indifference there's serious spiritual immaturity if, if there's even salvation. I mean, love, when you're talking about love, love is, is one of the birthmarks of a believer, especially among the body of Christ. There's a love, a genuine love, a genuine concern for others. And the question has to be asked, do I really have a love, a genuine concern, brotherly kindness for others, for the body of Christ? If there's not, either A, there's no salvation, or B, I'm sick 
spiritually. One or the other. Peter's writing and saying, you wanna be sure of your salvation? Are these evidenced in your life by faith? Are they evidenced? Qualifications? Finally, he summarizes it with one word. He says, love, <laughs> love. First John chapter four, verse seven and eight. First John chapter four, verses seven and eight. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And so he's simply saying this, hey, when you got born, you received the nature of your father, and his nature is love. Therefore, your birthmark ought to be love, just love. In other words, when people, if, 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 if others were asked to describe you, and I'm not just talking about your friends, I'm talking about others to describe you, would love be a part of the description for your life? Do, do, is love, is there love? Is there love there? God help me to have a sincere love. And if you wanna look at the characteristics of love, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and there's a list of what love is all about. It's not just a sentimental emotion that, that, that just I'm overwhelmed with this feeling, uh, but it's a commitment, it's a decision to love. God help me to be a loving person. And so he's basically just simply saying, hey listen, if you want assurance in your faith, ask myself this question, am I growing? Am I growing? And then he says, if you're growing, here's a prediction. He begins in verse number eight, here's the prediction. If you're growing, if you're doing these things, if this is a part of your life, if it's real, then here's what you can expect. Here's what you can expect or not expect. And so he begins in verse number eight and he says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse number nine, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And then he goes on in verse 10 and 11. But he says this, he says basically, he says, <clears throat> if these things are evidence in your life, you're not gonna be barren, but your life is gonna be fruitful. Your life will be fruitful along the way. It's gonna be fruitful in private. How is it fruitful in private? In other words, in private, even in private, there's a manifestation of what's happening on the inside. I mean, that's how life works. There's a manifestation. I mean, if I'm ticked off, it just kind of manifests itself and comes out, you know? And, uh, and so when we're talking personal fruitfulness, I would say the fruit of the spirit. In other words, it's within you, everything within you to be fruitful in life. So the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's fruitfulness in my life. It's growing, it's growing in my life. There's fruit on the inside, but there's also fruit on the outside. Others are being encouraged to follow Christ as I follow Christ. Others, others. 
There's fruitfulness. I'm not going to be barren along the way. And he says this. He says, you know what? The problem is if I'm not, if I'm not growing and if these things aren't a part of my life, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying, hey, if these aren't growing, if I'm not growing, then I'm going to struggle with a couple of things. My sight is going to be struggling. My sight, in fact, the word is used in this text of scripture, myopic, myopia. In other words, I'm short sighted. I don't see the big picture. I'm struggling with these things. And so my sight gets messed up. Not only my sight, but even my mind. I forget who I am. I forget who I am. And it can happen to us if we're not careful. And therefore, we lack assurance. When my sight is messed up and I forget who I am, my assurance goes out the window and I won't live the life that God has for me, which is an abundant life is what he said. It's kind of like, like a circus elephant. A circus elephant. I, I don't know anything about it. I'm not a part of the circus. Sometimes I feel like it, but uh, I'm not a part of the circus. But a circus elephant, they take these little tiny elephants and they'll chain them up to that little stick. You've seen it done before. And they'll chain them to a little stick. And when he's a little bitty baby, he sits there and he sways and he tries to pull and he tries to pull and he tries to pull. And when he realizes I can't pull it anymore, that little baby elephant becomes a big old mama or a big old daddy that could easily pull up a little stake in the ground. But he won't do it because he forgot who he is and there are people who've forgotten who they are and they don't even know how to live anymore it's an assurance issue is what he's talking about in first peter he says i want you to be sure why so that you're not deceived along the way because there will be false teachers that come in and if i don't know and am persuaded if i don't know whom i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him until that day, I'm gonna have major struggles in my life spiritually. Short-sighted, myopia. I don't see the big picture. I'm in the midst of storms, and all I can see is me, myself, and I. Do you know, do you know that when you're talking about, and he's writing this whole letter, uh, uh, t- dealing with the church and, and, and inside inside invasion of the church and he's talking about he's going to be addressing the false doctrines and he's saying hey make sure you know what you believe and that's the best defense against the false teachers but can I take it a step further this morning and say this that sometimes in churches it's not the false teachers but it's the it's the Christians that should be 20 30 40 years down the road but that are still sitting in a high chair on Sunday morning that cause the greatest difficulties in the life of a church Y'all all right? How does that work? Here's how that works. When you're struggling with myopia, when you're struggling, here's how that works. We, we get together on, so I love, I love getting together with the body of Christ. I love just worshiping. I love it, uh, just getting together uh, with the body. And when we get together with the body, it's kind of like this. It's kind of it's like a, a, a feasting time. It's, it's, you put food in a trough, and it's, it's a, like a buffet, a spiritual buffet. And uh, we get together, right? And, 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 and it's kind of like having people at your home. And when you, when you have people at your home, imagine this picture. You got people coming to your house, right? You got people coming to your house, and you set up. A, a banquet table in there in, in your house and, and, and your family, man, your family. You're, you're, you got those in, in your family who would represent your spiritual family, brothers and sisters.
sisters in Christ and we're all gathering together and, 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 and around the table and you have some people that are like, you know, 20 and 30 and 40 years old but they're still sitting in a high chair. And then we have these people that are coming in, these visitors who are lost people. They're not a part of the family yet and they're coming in and you're wanting to engage and the rest of the family's wanting to engage these people but you got those that are struggling with myopia and all I see is me, myself, and I and all I can do is start hollering and screaming and instead of us is spending our energy on the outside and reaching those that are lost, we're dealing with 20 and 30 and 40 year olds that are still sitting in a high chair. Myopia can destroy a church. It's not just the false teachers that invade the church. It's saints of God who aren't feeding themselves. Peter says, I want you to know what you believe. I want you to grow in your faith. I want you to grow. He says, not only will you not be barren, but you won't be blind. But then he says in verse 10 and 11, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. The anticipated entrance into heaven. The entrance word there is an interesting term. It's a term used to describe Olympians who would go and win the gold medal. And when they came back to their home, they would actually take a portion of the wall and cut a special hole for the gold medalist to come home and welcome them with great celebration. And he says, you know what? When your faith is growing and you have that no-so celebration, that no-so faith, you can look forward with great, great, great anticipation to that day when your heavenly Father calls you home because it's gonna be an incredible, an incredible day. What a day that will be that I can look forward to with great, great confidence and not say, man, I just hope that one day I make it in. But I know, I know with great assurance, Jesus is mine. What a day that's gonna be. Let me ask you the question. Do you have assurance this morning? Based on God's word, do I have assurance? Do I have a faith that's growing? Hey, I'm not arrived, it's still growing. And if ever I get to the point where I feel like I've arrived, I'm in trouble. <laughs> is it growing? Is your faith growing? Hey, are you saved? If you've never been born again, I'm inviting you to call on his name. We're gonna pray in just a minute. And, uh, and after we pray, we'll sing a song. And after we sing that song, we'll be here waiting on you. If you're here this morning and you'd say, man, I, I need to be saved, I'm asking you, you come this morning. Maybe here today and you'd say, you know what? I know that I'm saved, but I'm spiritually, I've been struggling, I'm sick. Man, where you are this morning, call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Repent. God, forgive me. I'm so thankful that he's not gonna wash his hands of me, but that he says, hey, you just come. You just come. You follow. You grow. Come on. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. Oh, God, I thank you for each and every person here this morning. And Lord Jesus, I just ask if you would search our hearts and search our minds, God, Father, I thank you for saving us by your grace. I'm so thankful that God, you paid the price for my sin completely on the cross. 
Father, thank you for what you've done. And God, I'm so thankful that your word is clear, that we're saved by grace, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, this morning, I just ask that you'd search our hearts. Father, of each and every person here, if there's any here that God lack assurance based on your word, that God, your Holy Spirit would reveal. Only you, God, can open eyes. Only you. So God, please, this morning, search our hearts. Have your way during this time. We love you. We thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.